We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence, a special episode. Ben, today we are joined with uh, by Stephen M. R. Covey and David Kaspersom. Uh, uh, that last name might sound familiar, Covey. Uh, we we talk about Covey a lot. We talk Stephen about your father quite a bit, uh, and so we are. Uh, uh, more than pleased. We are honored to have a Covey here on the show. Um, so thank you for joining us, uh, David. Thank you uh, as well. Stephen, uh, David, you guys have a new book coming out called Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. Um, David, I'm going to start with you because you kind of instigated this whole conversation. Uh, you're a CrossFitter you hurt you, and bonus, you listen to the show. And I think you listened to one of the episodes where Ben and I spent five minutes trying to figure out if it was Covey or Covey or Covey or something. <laughs> and so you were kind enough to reach out to me on Instagram and say, hey, dummy, it's Covey. And, and then we started talking and, um, and uh, you know, you and I were chatting just about what you guys were up to. And as it happens, this book was coming out soon. And so I wanted to take this opportunity uh, to have you guys on and talk about it. There's a lot of overlap, I think, uh, between Ben, your last book, Unlocking Potential, and Trust and Inspire and the work that you guys are doing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to really just sort of sitting back and listening to you guys chat, because I think you guys have thought about this stuff a lot and deeply, and uh, I'm excited about it. Um, I'm going to start, though, with you, David, because you are a CrossFitter, and we have to start talking about CrossFit immediately. What, Where do you CrossFit? What do you do? Where did you find it? How long have you been doing it? All that stuff. Um, so I go to a gym called The Box uh, in Linden, Utah. It's led by a woman named Chantel Lawrence, who is one of the best coaches in the world. Uh, at least in my opinion, I'm a little bit biased, but I... Uh, it's interesting. I've done, I've, I've done all sorts of stuff with fitness, never anything longer than 90 days, uh, because mm -hmm. I'm, uh, probably a little bit normal in that sense, but there was, uh, you know, CrossFit boxes are just kind of all over the place. My, my daughters were in a dance class, um, that I was taking them to and from multiple times a week and I'd drop them off, drive home only to basically to turn around and go back and pick them up. And I remember going by and I would see all these just crazy people running around with these giant balls outside and all sorts of stuff. And what the heck are they doing? And of course, as somebody who wasn't doing anything with my, my health, I was annoyed by seeing other people that were. Uh, and so I kept thinking about it, thinking about it. One day I thought, well, maybe I had to use my time better. You know, I'm just driving back and forth. Maybe, maybe I'll just go in and, you know, see what it's uh, all about, take a class and uh, ended up going in, uh, met Chantel, who kind of walked me through things and I started maybe the first week I went twice and then the second week it's been five, six days a week for three years and still trying to learn how to take rest days and <laughs> uh, do what I'm told that way. But it's, uh, been, it's been an awesome ride. It's totally changed my outlook on my health. Um, it's interesting. We kind of started, uh, that, that happened about actually three years into working on this book. Mm. Um, and I saw, I think one of the things that's worked so well in this space is the parallel between creating a culture of belonging and a place where people are not only allowed, but kind of encouraged to just be themselves, you know, you do you was kind of the mantra. Uh, I remember coming in and I, we were working on this book and I was having seen this as kind of like this little lab of this is, you know, kind of the environment that, that you can grow in. And I'd done stuff with like trainers before where, you know, in the, the book, we hit this idea of command and control, which is, I kind of just wanted to go somewhere and just be told, um, what to do. Uh, yeah. That's easy. And, and 
CrossFit was kind of like the marriage of both things. There was structure and direction, but in this class of 12 people, I would actually get talked to and paid attention to and um, just an awesome environment. So you, I didn't mean to go down that path, but you, I think about a lot of the okay. synergies of, of what makes people better and, and there's so much you know, crossover. It was uh, not surprising, not, maybe not surprising is not the word, really exciting to see we, we learned about ben's book kind of it just launched a couple of months a few months before this is launching and uh it's great to see kind of minds thinking alike and where the world's gone and where we've arrived at and what people need to get better and um yeah and here we are awesome yeah uh no surprise that a crossfitter likes to talk about crossfit so you don't have to apologize for talking for five minutes about it that's that's part for the course um okay so the, i want to ask one big question just to start this conversation um, and then we'll take it where it goes. But you just mentioned you've been working, you know, in our emails, you mentioned, I think you guys have been working on this book for five years or something. And you just mentioned, you know, you were three, three years into working on the book, you know, when you kind of discovered CrossFit. Um, and that's really interesting to me. And it's interesting to me, uh, one, just because I, it's, that's a long time to work on one project. So kudos to you guys. But also, you know, one of the things I'm noticing when we have guests on who have books, at least in the last, you know, six months or so is that there's, there seems to be a bit of a flavor or an influence of COVID, of the pandemic that, you know, knock on work, we're kind of coming out of, but there always seems to be, or there often seems to be like, oh, okay, like I can see why maybe COVID or the pandemic influenced or colored or gave some perspective that certainly wouldn't have gone into that book otherwise. And so I just wanted to start maybe first with just a, a, a question about timing. And because you'd been working on this book for so long, uh, and yet, you know, at, and for me, for much of it before the pandemic and then for much of it in the midst of the pandemic, how much of that affected the book, affected your work, affected the 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 perspectives that you brought into the book? Yeah, well, it's a great question, Patrick. And let me say this at the outset. Um, uh, my, my dad, my father, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he wrote several other books. He always told me that it takes 10 years to write a book. <laughs> that might not be your case, Ben, the way you've, you've been able to put out Chasing Excellence and Unlocking Potential, but it was a process of working with it. And so this was probably a six-year process, and we were already down this path. Here's what the pandemic happened, uh, what it did for us. We realized that this is just going to accelerate hmm. everything that we were writing about. It actually was going to make it more relevant, more apparent that it's a new world of work and a new world of work requires a new way to lead and you can't lead in the old way. And, 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 um, and so it kind of just accelerated a lot of the forces of change that were already happening, but maybe a little bit slower and suddenly they're right in front of us, front and center. And so I think what it did was just crystallized our focus. And also it gave us confidence of the relevancy of these ideas mm. because it was not at some time in the future, but it's right now. And we were already down this path, but this suddenly accelerated the need for a different kind of leadership in a different world of work. Mm. Yeah. Add, so really, added some, go ahead, Ben. Uh, I was going to say, so let's get, let's give some color and jump into a little bit because, yeah. uh, this different way to lead, um, it's so exciting for me because it brings a, a language to a lot of the stuff that I've I believed in a long time. Much like when 
um, you know, I read Seven Habits for the first time. It was it gave these principles to the things that I believed in anyway. And gosh, it, what better guideposts and guardrails and north stars to to chase than those seven principles and this different way to lead? Can you? Uh, so in your book, you reference the story that um, the original Seven Habits tells, which is the when you're mowing the lawn as a young, yeah. like eight year old or something like that. And that story, yeah. That story, because I have I have a seven year old and I have a ten year old, so maybe it's like even more so. But it's also that story in and of itself just encapsulates so well to me the the disparities between the the command and control leadership versus the trust and inspire leadership. I it, could you take a moment and just share that story with us because that's I think it's a really yeah. powerful way to just kind of leap into the conversation. Yeah, I'd love to, Ben. Um, yeah, so my, my dad wrote about it in Seven Habits. And so I, I thought I'd give my side of the story. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, hearing your side of the story, it was, I thought, even more, it's more powerful. Because hearing from the the the, the teacher is like, okay, but you're the one in control. Yeah. And hearing from your side was so cool. And the fact that it happened when you were as young as you are, and it still was so impactful, um, really yeah. inspiring. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was that way for me. I, I still remember it. And it happened when I was seven. But it's in, imprinted on my heart and my mind of, of what it did to me. And the long story made short is that that our, my dad and mom were trying to teach us kids how to take responsibility. So he gave different jobs to people and he and he asked me to take care of our lawn. And we had a lot of grass, a lot of big, big, big yard and this is back in the days before automatic sprinklers. You had to manually turn them on back then. That tells you about my age, right? But, but uh, so I was just a young boy, seven years old. And my dad said, okay, son, because I volunteered. I'll, I'll do it. I'll take it on. And so he gave me the responsibility. And then he trained me for about two weeks. And he trained me around uh, two results-oriented words, green and clean. And his whole premise was, look, we want our yard to be green. We want it to be clean. And he trained me what green looked like. He said, green is the color of our neighbor's yard, <laughs> not our own, because ours was kind of yellow a little bit. But he, he taught me what green was and how to achieve green, that I, that I needed to water. And how I did it was up to me. And But he said, if I were you, though, I'd turn on the sprinklers, because that would probably be the easiest way to water. But if you want, you could just pour buckets on it. And the whole point was he was delegating the responsibility for the result on me, not just the method. And then he taught me what clean was. You know, he cleaned part of the yard, left the other part unclean. So this sounds pretty simple, but I was seven. So I had to be trained. Two weeks of training. And then he also agreed to one other key thing, which is that I would judge myself against the standard of green and clean and tell my dad how we were doing. And that all he would do is once a week, we would walk around, walk the yard. And I could tell him how we were doing. So that was kind of built into an agreement. And, and, um, and so he turned it over to me after two weeks of training. And it's the middle of the summer. Well, I did nothing <laughs> for several days in a row. Did nothing. I was just out playing with my friends and other things. And, and every day the lawn was getting more yellow and more cluttered. We'd had a, a barbecue over the weekend. There was garbage everywhere, you know, just strewn throughout the lawn. It was the height, you know, the height of the summer. It was scorching hot. And like five days in a row, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the lawn is getting yellow. And my dad said that he was just wanting to just 
take back the responsibility, yank it right back and say, you know, he's too young. But he didn't do it. He stayed with it. And so he, he said, so son, why don't we walk around the yard like we agreed we'd do once a week and you can tell me how it's going. So we start to walk around the yard and I'm looking down and I'm seeing this, this yard is yellow. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's scorching hot and it's yellow and there's garbage everywhere. It's not green and clean. And, and I began to break down and cry. <laughs> and I said, dad, this is just so hard. And he said, what's hard? You haven't done one single thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what hard was. What hard was, was me to learn to take responsibility, to take initiative. And I, I said, he said, my dad said, if you'd like, I'll help you. I said, you would? He goes, yeah, what was our agreement? And I said, well, you agreed that you would help me if you had time. He said, that's right. I have time. I said, great. So I ran in the house. I grabbed a couple of garbage sacks. I took one. I gave one to him. And I said, dad, will you take this garbage sack and go over and pick up that garbage over there? Because it makes me kind of want to vomit. <laughs> so he, he goes, yeah, I'm your helper. Whatever you want. I'm your helper. He goes over and he starts to do this. I'm directing him. And it was at that moment that I realized this is my job. I'm not doing my dad's job. This is my job. I own this. I'm directing him. I'm asking him to help me and telling him what to do. And he's doing it. And from that moment, I realized I am responsible. I, I, take, I own this. And, and I took care of the yard the rest of the summer and for many summers thereafter. And the yard was green and it was clean. And my dad would often teach this in Seven Habits to talk about a win-win performance agreement. And it was that, right? But I was a seven-year-old boy. I didn't know what those terms meant. But here's what I knew as a seven-year-old. I felt trusted. I felt my father trusted me and didn't want to let him down. And I rose to that trust. I was inspired by it. And I took responsibility beyond my years without being compelled or forced to do it. Instead, I chose it. I was inspired to it. And I experienced as a seven-year-old a trust and inspire parent that believed in me, saw potential in me, tried to develop that potential, gave me an opportunity and trusted me, inspired me, and I rose to the occasion. It took me a little while, but I, I did. Mm -hmm. And it became an imprint of, of a better way to lead because I've you know compared that in different times in my life where I've had command and control type leaders or teachers or what have you at different phases and that kind of just dictate everything versus me taking responsibility. But I experienced firsthand a trust-inspired leader. And I use that as a just a simple illustration. If it can work with a seven-year-old, it could probably work with a 27-year-old or a 47-year-old or even a 67-year-old. That's the idea, green and clean. It inspired me. Yeah, there's so many... Um... I love that story because it's so eloquently uh, harnesses so many of the different principles that kind of run throughout the book and, you know, principles that I think like that I struggle with as, as uh, a leader and as an entrepreneur, as a boss and as a coach, there's so many times that we want to be the trust and inspire leaders, but things aren't getting done. So as you said, the first thing you want to do is just, like pull it back. Like you're not ready. Like you're, you're not, this is, they're not doing it. They're not mature enough. They don't have the skill set. They don't have the discipline. They don't have the organizational, they don't have the executive function. They can't do this job. And your dad didn't do that. He knew that if he did that, 
you would then own a job instead of owning it, instead of taking responsibility. So that's so cool. Um, so it's really cool. after that, I read I'll add, that, I'll add one thing to it, Ben. My Please. dad said, he, he told me he was very tempted to just take it back and, and then kind of then just kind of dictate and tell me what to do. But he said that he knew that I would then not develop responsibility and said, I'd just be told. But also he said that he, he took a deep breath and kind of said, reaffirm my purpose, he said in his mind. Mm. And here's, what, here's what, what his purpose was. Raise kids, not grass. So at the end of the day, while he wanted a green and clean yard, that wasn't nearly as important to him as raising a child to become a responsible adult. The, the out, we get so focused on the outcome of the things that we need to do and accomplish and what happens at the end. Sometimes, like this thing I was saying with the gym, I don't, I don't, you just tell me what to do so that I can get this thing that I want. Um, and the value is not in the thing, it's in the growth that happens on the way there. A lot of times, some of the frustration we might feel is, well, like you said, Ben, so-and-so doesn't know how to do this. They don't get it. And when, I, when I'm saying that, I'm losing sight of the, the idea that, well, if, if they need to be taught that, that's what my role is more than anything else. I love that, Stephen, that when you tell that story and you talk about your dad, you say, you know, he, he responded to you and said, well, I'm, I'm your helper. Yeah. You know, when a job of a leader is to help people get the results, it's tempting, again, in our, in our environment, in our culture, and business, everywhere, people will say, well, the, the buck stops with me. And we, we kind of hyperdrive this idea of being results oriented and the, you know, the, the leader takes ownership for the result. There's a difference between ownership and stewardship. Um, and, you know, Stephen didn't own that lawn. That wasn't, that, that was his dad's lawn. He wasn't going to actually be an owner of it. In fact, a lot of people who own their own lawns <laughs> don't really take care of them, but he was accepting, you know, what we refer to as a stewardship. Um, something that didn't belong to him and that he had the opportunity to develop that and playing that out and playing it forward. Um, it's interesting. People will ask, I've worked for Stephen for probably, Stephen, I think it's been 16 years or more yeah. now. Um, and one of the questions I get asked a lot of times when we work with clients is, well, you know, what's it like working with, with someone like Stephen, you know, Stephen M. Archive, what, how, you know, how does that go? Uh, and for me, the, the contribution of, of being involved in this book, um, I mean, I, I'm trying to be a trust inspired leader, but my contribution was same things as Steven was as a seven-year-old being led this way has totally changed the game for me. You know, you, everybody has kind of this idea of what, what the results they want in their life to be, but a lot of us don't know how to get there. But when you're led by somebody who puts your growth and development ahead of the end result, you get the result. You know, Steven noted my purpose was raise kids, not grass. But guess what? By raising the kids, you also got the grass. Mm-hmm. You know, you got both. It's a much better way of getting the result, and it helps you get the results better the next time. And by the way, it teaches the seven-year-old and the 27-year-old and 47-year-old that you can do this again. You have capabilities. You have potential. You have value. Um, and a lot of times, people don't see that in themselves. Again, Ben, I, I was so so excited to see uh, when Unlocking Potential came out because we, we I think we had Stephen when we were talking about building this. I think those words might have floated around as one of the ideas that it's so inherent that the, the the belief be that that potential is there. It's not it's not give people potential or assert potential or just tell people what they're worth. You have to kind of believe that it's already there. Your job is to unleash it, to release it, to let it go, not to contain it, not to manipulate it into going to where you want it, all of those kinds of things. 
And Ben, I'm right with you. The, 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 the metaphor of that story plays out in, boy, all over the place. Yeah, I love it too. And as well, um, so in terms of that unlocking the potential, it's also, it's not a, it's not a completely hands off. It's twofold. Like first off, after your response, you take ownership and you're the steward of this, I, I'm here, I, the roles then get reversed and I'm here to help you. If you have a roadblock, if there's an obstacle, if there's something you come against, I'm the first resource, please come to me. I'm here to help you. And then the second part is, it wasn't just go get it, little seven-year-old Steven. It was two weeks of training. So I think that this is this is certainly what I struggled with in terms of I used to see leadership as black and white, as a X's and O's, as a complete two ends of a spectrum. There was either the command and control micromanagement, or there was the complete autonomy, hands-off, you do you, you can do this better than I can. I totally trust you, go. And because I am a very trusting person, I defaulted to the latter. And that was a fault because people didn't have this, they didn't, they didn't begin with the end in mind because they didn't know what my end was. They didn't know what finish looked like. They didn't have the training. They didn't know the A best path. So th there was a lot of gaps that were created. And this is a big thing that I've learned in the trust inspire world is it's not just let them run. You give guidance, you give as much direction as you can in training and coaching. And then when it's time, then you set them free and support them along the way. Yeah. And because they, because they picked to follow that guidance, they're a lot more committed to it. It's easy to, to mistake sometimes because we don't want to be command and control. And so we go hands off and it's, we feel like what we're doing is extending trust in a way, but what right. the person on the other end is receiving might actually be better defined as abandonment or abdication. Right. And then yes, when it doesn't work, it's, well, they didn't have it in them. Um, yeah. They probably still have it in them, but maybe I let go of my opportunity to bring it out. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the, sorry, Stephen, please go. No, I was just going to say that, that because this is really an act of trusting and you want to do it in a smart way, because if you if you go to abdication or abandonment, it's not going to work, and you'll end up kind of swinging the pendulum back, saying maybe I should go back to command and control, uh, because it, this, you know this didn't work. But but you didn't really set up the agreement. You didn't do the training. You didn't. Uh, we call it two key things, two key behaviors: clarify expectations around what we're trying to do, green and clean, and then mutually agree to a process of accountability against those expectations so that you build an agreement and you allow the person to evaluate themselves against the agreement. That way they feel like I'm in charge and I, I judge myself against this agreement we come up with. And, I, and, and there's no need for a boss to come in and micromanage and, you know, and hover over because you've, you have an agreement built. But you're exactly right, Ben. You've got to take the time to kind of build the agreement around expectations and accountability so that it's a smart trust that's being, that's being delegated and that you're empowering the right way to both get the result, but also grow the people. You want to do both. Yeah. It's, we've had a couple of um, the people I train with uh, go on to become Navy SEALs. And this mm -hmm. is what really brought this to light for me is the Navy SEALs are the most empowered fighting force in the world. Like they just like, it's like, go get the bad guy. 
you know, they train a mission, but to your point, it's like, it's the results, not the method. And they have to be able to improvise at any drop of a hat. But what they don't do is like, just say, go get the bad guy. Right. <laughs> they, they train them for six years before they say, go get the bad guy. So they get, it's, it starts off with um, very intensive training and molding and getting on the same page about what expectations look like and how to, um, how to, um, any sort of the different methods that we could use. And then they give them the autonomy to get it done. Um, I, I, I really like the, the, the idea about this clarifying expectations, but leaving it kind of big picture, you know, I really, so this is what I tried to do with my organs after reading this. I really love the clean and green, you know, the green, yeah. the clean, the green and clean. And I, I, I thought about, could I do that for every role in my business? Could everybody get just that this and this, you know, mm. marketing is response for relevance and resonance. You know, it's like customer service response for like, and everybody has this like really, have you seen some sort of like, how that plays out in the business space or maybe also with like in families or in sports teams that there are like, is it, have you found that like the two, that couplet of this and this works well, or is it, no, give me a list of five or six different things. Um, is it clean and green and then a subset of bullets underneath to make sure we're on the same page about what that is? What does clarifying expectations look like to you in a little more detail? Yeah. Well, it, it, it can be that. It can also be, you know, there could be a balanced scorecard to it. It could be a number of things. I, I love the idea of kind of the two simple ideas, green and clean, you know, and I've seen it in some sports situations where, where it's compete to win in the right way. You know, in other words, we're not trying to win at all costs. We're trying to, yeah, right. we're, we're competing to win, but we want to do it the right way with sportsmanship, with integrity and, and so forth, teamwork. And, and so, yes, I, there's sometimes there's a great simplicity to the idea of kind of an end with a means put together so that, you know, you get results in a way that grows the people. And that's a great mantra for any leader. You know, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to get results in a way that grows the people, that unlocks potential mm-hmm. so I can get more mm-hmm. results in the future. And there's Good always the next time. <laughs> but if you get results in a way that doesn't grow the people, where it maybe depletes the trust or is all dictatorial and they don't develop the muscles, uh, the, the initiative muscles, the proactivity muscles, then, then they're less equipped to get results the next time. They have to be told, and you have not built the team, not built the person, not built the culture. You have not unlocked the potential. So you're always wanting to get the outcome. Any type of leadership that doesn't have a focus on results would probably be missing the mark. But how we do what we do matters enormously. So to me, that's the, that's the twofold thing is kind of the, the what and the how, the ends and the means that need to be combined in a way where you're saying it's not either or, it is and. Yeah, Ben, the, the example you just gave of, you know, it's nice if you have got two simple things. That's not always possible. It's also not always helpful. You know, to your earlier example, it may be that somebody needs a little bit more direction than that. It may be that here's the two big goals and here's how we're going to strategize around building some subsets for those. But you could build the same five sub steps uh, in the process, 
but they look completely different if your intent in building those was was in response to the person saying, hey, I need more help. And so you're being like Stephen's dad and saying, I'm your, I'm your helper and here's how we're going to get those five things. Then if your intent is to be regulatory, um, if you're saying, hey, these two things are really important and in my expertise, you also need to do this. You also do, need to do this. You also need to do this. It's a difference. You know, if, if, Stephen, I love how you say it. You can't, you can't hold people accountable to results if you dictate their methods. And so the methods that get built in, if those are built together with the intent, again, to grow the person before the outcome, you'll have a lot better opportunity at getting at the outcome. But if your intent is to, you know, create, again, some level of regulatory structure, and sometimes that's required. Um, but in a lot of cases, we, we kind of let that thinking of, again, trying to control the outcome kind of strong arm us into controlling the person and nobody responds well to that. And they certainly don't grow. Yeah. I love David, what you just said about so much comes back to intent. And I know this is one of your three guiding principles, right? Ben and Patrick. Yes. Very good. Wow. And and our our intent matters. And, and um, what's our intent? Are we trying to um, get the outcome and also grow the people? Or we just, all we care is about the result and not the people. And, 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 and so often times we might have a good intent, but our style gets in the way of our intent. And, and that's kind of a counterfeit form of the behavior when our style gets in the way of our intent. And that's a big part of what happens. Like a, a core fundamental belief of a trust inspired leader is very similar to what you're talking about, Ben, which is this, that people have greatness inside of them. To have that belief. It's not just a few elite, but people have greatness inside of them. So... My job as a leader is to unleash their potential, not to try to contain or control them. That's kind of a paradigm, a mindset, but but oftentimes a lot of people might have that mindset, but their style of how they lead gets in the way of that intent and they find themselves containing people, controlling people, dictating versus truly seeing the potential, communicating the potential, developing it, through the training, coaching, mentoring, and then unleashing it, allowing it to flourish and blossom. And so I love how you state it, unlocking potential, unleashing greatness. It's a similar idea, but it starts with the very thought, the belief that people have the greatness to begin with. And that belief matters. It's a growth mindset, not just for yourself, but for others too. Mm. Okay, so let's... um move it down a little bit. Yeah. You have this, you have somebody that um, believes that people have greatness inside of them, but they're stuck in this command and control methodology. What's the, like mechanistically besides like, so th- they have this paradigm shift. They have this, yeah. they're still stuck in their ways. How does somebody shift from the command and control to the trust and inspire method? Yeah. What are like the, like, how do you, how do you, like if you had somebody, if one of your managers on your team was command and controlling and you would say like, Hey, listen, these people have greatness inside of them. Let's not stifle them. Let's unleash it. What would be the next thing that you would have them do? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, first of all, you have identified the first step, which is to really become self-aware awareness. Again, one of your guiding principles, I agree with it. Self-aware of what are my fundamental beliefs? Because if all you do is just give lip service to it and you don't really believe it, then your paradigm hasn't really shifted. 
you're still operating under the command and control model that's limited. So always start with the fundamental beliefs, the paradigm, and that includes that people have greatness inside of them, that people are whole people. They want to be inspired, not merely motivated. There's enough for everyone, an abundance mentality, so we can elevate caring above competing. You know, you want to compete externally, but care internally um, and so forth. But also here's a big one. Leadership is stewardship. It's a mindset of stewardship, a, a job with a trust, an inherent responsibility. So once you start with the paradigm first, you then want to move to the stewardships that are part of becoming a trust inspired leader. And there's three of them and they're simple. You model, you trust, and you inspire. See, modeling is who we are. We focus on ourselves, our credibility, our moral authority, uh, you know, our, who we are, our character, our competence. And we try to model um, humility and courage. We try to model authenticity and vulnerability. We're a model. We, 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 we go first. So we model, we trust. And that's where we learn to become trusting in order to create trust. Sometimes you could have two trustworthy people working together and no trust between them if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. So we got to be trusting to unlock the possibilities. That's how we lead, trusting with expectations and accountability. And then we inspire. And you might think, well, how do you inspire? <laughs> you know, it don't have to be charismatic, but we separate charisma from inspiration. Everyone can inspire. Inspiring others is a learnable skill because you inspire when you connect with people through caring and a sense of belonging. And when you connect people to purpose and to meaning and a contribution and people can learn to do that. Leaders can learn to do that. And so I would say, start with your paradigm, how you view the world, how you view people, how you view leadership. And we have some fundamental beliefs of a trust inspired leader. We mentioned a few of them. Then focus on these three stewardships. Modeling, trusting, inspiring. Modeling who you are, trusting how you lead, inspiring, connecting to why. And, and then we try to help people kind of move towards those stewardships and see that as a better kind of leadership that's going to be more relevant for our world today. Is any of this easy? No, especially if someone's deeply scripted in the old model of command and control. But if they can learn to have some success in any of those stewardships, even if you just focus on one of them initially and begin to improve in that area, it gives people hope that I can re-script myself and become the kind of leader I want to be in this new world. What would you add to that, David? Well, a couple of things. You, know, you mentioned that it's not easy, but it's actually pretty simple. Um, you, know, you talk about inspiration. That's what, you know, we, we started talking about CrossFit. That's what, what's kept me going is that it's not, I'm not yeah. being motivated by somebody. People don't want to be motivated. They want to be inspired. There's a part in the book, just in the first, I think it's like seven pages, Stephen. I remember you noted that the world today is dangerously low on inspiration. And I think that's a profound statement because the world is not dangerously low on a lot of things. To say that it's dangerously low mm. connotates that this really is a need. This is, it's a need. And so you look at everything that's happened, you know, Patrick, you asked about COVID and, and everything. A lot of people are very uninspired. Um, and the challenge is that the level of creativity, innovation, initiative, all these things that we need to overcome a lot of the challenges that we're dealing with, whether those be on a small scale in our, our home or our community or in our work, we need to be inspired to those things. 
but inspiration doesn't, you know, there's, there's lots of really great inspirational stories and impactful things. And a lot of us haven't had those experiences, but you know, what can be really inspiring if somebody says, hello, somebody tells you they care about you. Somebody asks you a question that shows that they have general interests in you. It's just as basic as connection. Um, you know, when you, is, is a coach, you're creating, you, you know, this is a framework. You can make anybody stronger. You can give anybody the, the framework to become stronger. It's it, becoming an athlete at a general level is not rocket science, um, but actually doing that is where it starts to get hard. So the framework is not that difficult. It's not easy, but the framework is simple. And it's as simple as, again, like Stephen said, be somebody that other people can have confidence in. That's who you model. Look for opportunities to extend trust, which, which again, in our experience, this is probably where most people get hung up on. I can't tell you how many trustworthy leaders we work with who really struggle to let go, um, who really struggle to let the accountability of, of something somebody's doing to, to give them an opportunity to make a mistake or to fail where they pull it back too soon. It's hard. Um, you do both of those things well, those are inherently inspiring. We're inspired by our meaningful relationships. We're inspired by people who are models of the things that we want to see. What really takes it to the next level is when somebody who's doing or living in ways that, that are meaningful and matter and who extends trust to us and chooses to connect with us. And again, that could be as simple as showing concern for somebody. It could be that you're tied to the same mission. It could be that you're tied to something really large, but it doesn't have to be a big thing. Again, Stephen hit this beautifully. Everybody can inspire. And by the way, everybody does. Uh, Stephen, maybe the, one last thing on this idea. We call these stewardships because it's not just like, hey, these are three good things that a leader should do. This isn't, this, I listened to your last, ad, last uh, podcast that just came out. This is, we're not shooting all over people. This isn't just you should, you should, you should, you should, you should. We have a duty if we're in a position of influence. And I'm not just going to say a position of leadership because leadership is a choice. If you're in a position of influence, you have in your hands the ability to improve life for some other person. You have a stewardship to do that. You have a stewardship to be the kind of person that you want to see other people be. You have a stewardship to grow people by extending trust and not taking control on everything for yourself. And you do have a stewardship to inspire people. Again, that doesn't mean you have a stewardship to go win the CrossFit Games or some big thing that's going to be televised all over the world. But you have a stewardship to inspire people in the sense that you help bring meaning and value to who they are. You know, inspire is, comes from the Latin word inspirare, which means to breathe life into. Yeah, there's big things that do that, but just a little bit of breath can go a long way for a lot of people. And, and again, you asked what's changed over the last two years. We need so much more um, of this. And it's happening. There's great pockets where this is coming up. And we've made a lot of progress. There are a lot of organizations and leaders and families who are, who are kind of progressing along this continuum. Um, you step into that trust and inspire mindset, and that just changes the game completely. Changes the game. Yeah, the, so the idea, this, this whole notion that leadership is stewardship is a big idea because most people operate from the premise that leadership is a position. Leadership is or authority. Ownership. ownership, and I'm the boss, I'm the leader. I operate from that. We're saying, no, leadership is stewardship. And there's inherent stewardships that come with being a leader. And by stewardship, I mean a job with a trust. And you have these three, to model, to trust, and to inspire. That's a stewardship you have as when you're in a leader, leadership role with people. 
And it's a, it's a whole new shift in mindset. But what it does to them is it unleashes them. And, and it sees the greatness in them and helps them develop it and, and unleashes it. So it's pretty, it's exciting, it's inspiring, it's needed in our world that's dangerously low in inspiration and trust for that matter. Well, that was a terrific answer to a very vague question um, <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the model trust inspire. Like you, it's, it is a framework in order to, to move someone along. It's with the, the paradigm shifting in, in, as the first kind of um, hurdle that we have to cross over. But as David was saying is that trust, well, the trust seems to be where people are getting hung up. And um, I love that you have a definition for inspire. It's to breathe life into. Do you have something similar for trust? Yeah. Is there a definition of trust or is there a route that we should, when we think, because if I think about the inspire as like, it's to breathe life into and we can all inspire. It doesn't matter who you are. It's about connecting in any way to a mission, to each other, to a sense of belonging. I love, connect to the why. I love all of that. I love all that. I can do stuff with that. Yep. The trusting one is so a little vague to me. So I trust by become trusting. Yeah. And I trust by letting go. Is there, can you lean in? Because trust is vague and soft, right? Yeah. Especially to a command and control officer. Coming from a military background, it's like, no, you do what I say. And it's like, no, bro, you should just trust. Like, like <laughs> so can you guys yeah. just expand upon that one a little bit? Absolutely. It's important. And by the way, um, I was with uh, General Martin Dempsey, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And he said, um, he said that trust is the secret sauce of the military. It is what makes it work. I was with um, Admiral Ro William McRaven who's the former commander of special ops. You know, you're talking about the Navy SEALs. Make he was over all of special ops, all of special ops. It was under his watch, they got Obama, uh, bin, Osama bin Laden. And, um, and his whole thing, here they were already the best in the world at trust. Those teams don't work without self-trust and team trust. And yet they were trying to get better at trust and, 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 and turn, go from good to great and even improve this. And so, so even in the military, trust is how it's done today. And, and, um, and command and control kind of has military roots, but the new world is around trust. Um, uh, um, we, uh, what's the name of the, I'm forgetting, um, Stanley McChrystal. Yeah, General McChrystal. He was, uh, hit, their mantra was this to the military. Um, if when you get on the ground, we, the order we gave you was wrong. Execute the order we should have given you. You know, extraordinary trust. So here's, but here's a simple way to think about it, Ben. Think of this. Trust, I'm talking about trust the noun, the outcome. Trust is confidence. Confidence. In fact, in many languages, trust and confidence hmm. are the same word. Like in Spanish, in French, same word. In English, we have two words for it. The opposite hmm. of trust, distrust, is suspicion. So confidence versus suspicion. Now, where does that confidence come from? It comes from having two sources, character and competence. Character and competence. That makes a person credible. It makes them trustworthy. But it's not enough to have trust by merely being trustworthy. It's necessary, but insufficient. 
And that's where we bring this idea of being trusting to it. So to create trust, you need to be both trustworthy, character and competence, and trusting. Because you could have two trustworthy people working together and they're both trustworthy, and yet no trust between them, even though they're both trustworthy, if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. And so, again, back to leadership. In a sense, modeling is demonstrating that you're trustworthy. Trusting is now saying, I'm not only trustworthy, I'm trusting as a leader. And the combination of being trustworthy and being trusting creates trust, creates confidence, which is what we want. And But the big need that a lot of leaders struggle with is becoming more trusting and learning to empower, learning to set up the agreement, learning to let go, all these things. That's why we talk about the, the agreement so that it can let go with confidence that it's going to work. But that's the need. And, and so many people feel like, I like these ideas and I'm, I'm, I model, I want to inspire. But letting go, trusting is the hardest of them all. That's probably the most common thing we, we hear. So that's why we focus so heavily on that. But that's a way of thinking about it. Trust is confidence. But it will come about when we're both trustworthy and trusting as leaders. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword too because, um, you know, Stephen talked about the opposite of trust being suspicion because we all want to be trusted and, and, and I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Uh, it's also reciprocal. And so if I, as a leader, don't extend trust to those that I lead and work with because I feel they're not ready or whatever, the, the unintended consequence of that is that because I withheld trust from them, they're going to withhold trust from me at the same time. And then you get this vicious kind of downward cycle of distrust and suspicion, creating more distrust and suspicion. Fine. I'm not, you're not going to trust me. I'm not going to trust you either. And then it almost doesn't matter how good you model because you've lost the opportunity to build a trusting relationship. There's nothing more uninspiring than not being trusted, especially when you feel like you deserve a shot at it. Um, so these are, these are, there's some sequence that really matters to this and they're kind of cumulative in, in, in how they build. You have a really hard time getting to being inspiring. Your story might be inspiring. The, what you're modeling might be inspiring, especially if people don't know you. You know, we look at like athletes and people that we admire and they, they can inspire, but it's not like they can have a personal relationship with them. And they'll also probably never be able to inspire to the degree of somebody you do have a personal relationship with, with who trusts you and connects with you. And again, unleashes you. They might, again, that modeling might inspire you enough to kind of get off the ground and get started, but you want to see all the, this all the way through and really become the best version of yourself. Um, there's the, the sequence matters. Yeah. And I'll put it this way, Ben and Patrick, to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. It brings out the best in all of us. And to David's point, we also want to return the trust. We give it back. <clears throat> to not be trusted, we tend to reciprocate the distrust back, and it doesn't inspire anybody. Um, a personal example, if you don't mind, the liberty of this. I've um, talked about my dad. Let me talk about my son. And I'm bringing this up because he's a, 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 an athlete. <laughs> and, and, um, but he, uh, this, his name is Britton Covey. He plays football for the University of Utah. He just is, is uh, declared for the NFL draft. We'll see what happens. And, and uh, trying to go pro. But when he was coming out of high school, um, 
you know, he didn't really have, he was seen as a great high school player, but he was, you know, not big. Five foot eight, 160 pounds. Be a great Football is a big, big game. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, you know, so he was a great high school player and, you know, all state and actually the MVP of the state, but he was, but he had no offers, no college scholarship offers, not even from the division two schools, not even from junior colleges. No one offered. They all kind of said, well, you're a great high school player, but we don't see it translating. But then late in the game, um, the University of Utah, you know, a power five school, Pac-12 conference, comes forward and offers him and says these words, Kyle Whittingham, the coach, saying, you know what? We don't see size. We see a player. We see a baller. We want you. We believe in you. We trust you. Join us. We think you can play at the next level and beyond. You know what that does to a kid? To have someone believe in you more than anyone else? Well, it changed everything. He actually had grew up as a BYU fan, and that's the rival school. He ends up going to Utah, <laughs> shifts his loyalties, because someone believed in him, trusted him, saw the potential in him, and he began to see it in himself. I can do this. And when someone believes in that, it inspires you like nothing else, and that unlocks potential and unleashes greatness. And you know, he's named All-American this year. I'm a proud dad. I apologize mm. for touting my son, but I use it as an illustration of trust and inspire. A coach who saw greatness in him and helped him see greatness in himself and helped unleash it. And it's really exciting to see. And, and uh, But it's the power of what it does to people and how it inspires them. I want to um, that, thank you. That was a great story. Uh, and as a as a father of two young kids, I, I respond positively these days from uh, from stories like that. So thank you. Um, I want to start wrapping this up a little bit just because we we want to be respectful of your time. Um, <clears throat> and I want to kind of ask another kind of uh, another big question to, to to take us home. And that is, you talk about in the book uh, at least once, possibly more times, uh, that that you're aghast <laughs> that leadership still looks like command and control, like everything, you know, the years you've spent talking about this, writing about this, your father writing about it. And yet the majority of people are still operating under this command and control, uh, paradigm. Why, why is that? What is holding, what, what about that paradigm, that methodology, that habit is so hard to get rid of? Is it fear? Is it uh, impatience? Is it something else? Why is it so easy to just continue along the line of, I guess that's what it means to be a leader. I guess that what it, that's what it means to be a, a parent. I guess that's what it means to be a coach. Where is the disconnect? Yeah, it's all of the above. It's all of those things. But I will say two key things. First, old paradigms, even faulty paradigms can live on way beyond their usefulness. It's like the idea of bloodletting. Mm. That's a practice that was 3,000 years old. It started with the Egyptians, moved to the Greeks and the Romans. And then it, and then it came throughout all of Europe in the you know, 1600s and the like, and all the way to as, as late as the late 19th century. You know, um, there was bloodletting. And yet, it was centuries earlier in the 1600s that they that Samuel Weiss and germ theory and other things were discovered that says 
the disease is not in the blood. The paradigm was wrong, and yet it lived on for centuries afterwards. In a sense, command and control is modern-day bloodletting. It's so deeply scripted in the paradigm and how we operate that it just continues, and we often don't step back and have that awareness to look at what lens we're looking at the world through. And so that's one. Another factor is, is um, you know, to know and not to do is not to know. Hmm. And so we might kind of say, yeah, we should lead in these ways, but we're struggling to doing it. There's a gap between our style and our intent, between our action, one of your free guiding principles, and our knowledge. To know and not to do is not to know. So we're trying to get better at it. But finally, I'm going to say we're deeply scripted in command and control. We're good at command and control. Our models are in command and control. And we need to see models of trust and inspire. We need to see better ways of leading, of trust and inspire leaders and trust and inspire parents and trust and inspire teachers and school teachers. And we need models who can become mentors of a better way to lead. And command and control is like your native tongue and trust and inspire is like an acquired tongue when you learn a new language. And when pressure gets high, you know, we go back to our native tongue, <laughs> command and control. We're good at mm. that. We know it. We've got to re-script ourselves around a new model. So that's the opportunity for all of us is to become a model of the kind of leadership that's needed in a new world. And a model can become a mentor, can coach and mentor others, and we can re-script ourselves and, and become better at this and overcome fears because sometimes there's fear. I don't know how to do it. I'm afraid of letting go. What if it goes wrong? I tried it and it didn't work before. You know, all these things, you know, Ben, to your point that when you go to abdication, you might say, I tried trusting and it didn't work, but maybe we didn't do it with the right agreement and with the right training. And so we do need to learn a new way to lead in a new world. So those are the combination of those factors are why we do it. But I would just say in summary though, we need models that can become mentors. And that's the opportunity for all of our listeners and viewers is to become a model of a trust and inspire person, neighbor, friend, parent, leader that can also then become a mentor to others. And let's ripple this out and build a better world together. And one thing I might add uh, to that, Steve, I think that's a really solid recap. <laughs> we, we hit in the book that there's really two epic imperatives of our time, two jobs to be done uh, for every organization. And I'll, I'll define, Stephen, I think your dad always defined an organization as um, you know, two or more people working together toward a common goal. So that could be in your family, in your gym, your business, your community, whatever. There are two jobs that are most important. Uh, and they are, and I'll, I'll frame this in, in work terms, but it translates. One is to win in the workplace. And the second is to win in the marketplace. And so for me, when I get, when I, when I slip into command and control, when I go command and control, because I lose my cool or get frustrated or something like that, you know, using a, using a home, home example, if I go command and control at home, it's usually because I'm focused on winning in the marketplace. I'm focused on the outcome. I'm focused on what I want. And sometimes it's driven, Patrick, to add some nuance to your, your point, it's driven by the fact that we care. We actually, it, mm. sometimes we go command and control because we care about the person that we're, we're working with. We want them to succeed, and so we grab them and we put them on the path they need to be on, regardless of what their involvement is. But if they do all those things and don't grow, it doesn't matter. And so sometimes we get 
fixed on this idea of winning in the marketplace. But again, this is something where sequence matters. If you want to win in the marketplace, you have to win in the workplace. What used to be called, uh, you know, the, Stephen, I think Francis Fry did, talked about this in the conversation you guys had a little while ago. So, you know, what used to be like the, the consumer value proposition where, you know, the customer's always right. It's, it's that outcome. It's changing in the workplace to what they're calling the employee value contribution or value uh, proposition. And it's the idea that, look, if we want to win out there, we've got to win here first. If I want to succeed in life, that'll be a lot easier if I'm succeeding at home. If I want my gym to succeed and grow in the marketplace, it's not going to go very well if we're not succeeding with our people inside the gym. And that's a good metaphor because your, your members are paying you to be there. My kids aren't paying me to be there. <laughs> and our employees aren't paying us to be there. We're, we're, we're paying them. But the, the challenge ends up being the same. We've got to help them find ways so that they can win. And that's a, a, a different paradigm. Again, too often, I think we get stuck in the idea that we want to find ways that, well, we know what works because we've been down this path. Um, you know, that's the reason I'm the parent. That's the reason I'm in charge. Um, and there's some validity to that. But I got to remember that I'm not raising me. I'm not leading me. I'm working with someone else. And I've heard you talk about this when you work with different athletes. Um, you know, not everybody's going to be Katrin. Um and it doesn't make sense to train somebody else like a Katrin if they're not Katrin. It's a sure path to, to failure. It's not going to win out in the marketplace. Um, they might do a good job. They might grow, but we're totally locking their potential. We're capping what they can do. And if it's about growing them, it's a, again, it's a different, different outcome. That's right. Sequence matters. Mm -hmm. And to win in the marketplace, we need to first win in the workplace. To build trust with others, we need to first build trust with ourselves. Sequence matters. Inside out. In fact, that's one of the fundamental beliefs of a trust and inspire leader is that enduring influence, which is real leadership, is created from the inside out. So my job as a leader is to go first. Someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. And that's what we need in a low trust world. You know, that, that, it, um, that little encapsulation right there and that part right um, where we say it, it starts with a leader first and it's, we have to create people that, that we can model for others. It basically is, is our audience and what our audience on this podcast is trying to do is, you know, our saying is you can't fill from an empty cup. So in order to be a really good leader, you have to do, it's why we do CrossFit. So we can be has as much vitality and energy and patience and discipline and, fortitude and ability to navigate um, challenging times with calm. So that is our our whole premise is if we want to be an asset to other people, we have to work on ourselves first. So I love that that is, you know, after the paradigm shifting thing, the model aspect of the character, you know, it all, it starts with character and it starts with character of us first. So from there, sequence matters. Then it goes to your most immediate team, yep. which is your family or your employees. And then it goes to the next layer of the bullseye and it's just kind of this ripple effect out. So um, really, really appreciate that aspect of it, which, you know, it's to be a, 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 a follow me type leader, a trust and inspire leader, you have to first be that, you have to work on yourself first. And I think it's so easy for us to go, point the faults everywhere else. Look at what, they're not meeting expectations. They don't have the skill set. They don't have the discipline. 
Yeah, precisely. It's human nature to think it's everybody else. But if you think the problem is out there, is everybody else? That very thinking is the problem. <laughs> Because we've disempowered ourselves. Actually, I like that. I like that. You know, being a coach and working with male and female athletes, I might be more mankind than humankind. Because <laughs> if you go, listen, team, listen, team, this is what we're struggling with. Every every guy goes, that's right. You guys aren't pulling your weight. Every girl goes, oh my god, he's talking to me. Oh my god. He's to me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, this. This core idea of inside out is also a breakthrough idea. It's simple, but not easy. And yeah, I like it, that inside out. And it's not new. Patrick, to your big question, this isn't new information. The idea is make it easy. The, 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 the idea of just kind of go first to, if I were to give a takeaway for this, for all of the things we've been discussing, it's just start, do something, just, just, mm. Go talk to somebody, say hi, um, show kindness, um, but start doing something that's in your comfort zone with who you are instead of trying to, again, change things for everybody else. Start simple, start with you. Love that. Gentlemen, thank you both so very much for your time. Thank you for the book. Uh, again, it's called Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's coming out early April, yes? Yes, April 5th. April 5th. April 5th. Amazing. Uh, so check that out. I'm sure you can find it in all the places you buy books. Is there anywhere else or anything you'd like to ask of our audience, anywhere you'd like to point them, anything you'd like uh, them to think about going forward? Well, you can go to our website, trustandinspire.com. We have a variety of tools and videos and things that help people build this kind of um, culture on a team, this kind of capacity as a leader, as a person. And our main thing is that you can apply this at every level as a leader, but you also can apply it as a person, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a parent. And I think it's in those applications where the greatest joy is and where the greatest need is. The leadership ones are extraordinary, but leadership is a choice, not a position. And so leading in our, our homes, in our communities, in our leading our lives, our own lives, that's where this really begins. And becoming trust and inspire as a person is how we'll become trust and inspire as a leader. Got it. Thank you both so very much. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.